This is Neil Adams, and you're listening to the Comic Relief Podcast. Hey, listener. Welcome to the Comic Relief Podcast. Hope you survived the experience. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your hosts, Uncanny Thomas Logue and Mighty Michael Miranda. Thank you very much for doing this with us, Neil. It's an, am it's I an doing honor? Yeah, yes, yeah, I, yes. Am. Yeah, I am. I've been doing, doing it. No <laughs> kidding. Uh, what we'll do is, uh, you know, we'll squeeze in some questions every now and then. We don't want to interrupt. Uh, you mean you actually bus. have prepared questions? I do have. You're prepared maybe questions. the first interviewer in a year that has prepared questions. <laughs> Would you like me to sign that young lady? Yes. We're the idea is to interrupt these fellows as yes. often as possible. Yes. Yeah. So that we know what we're doing here. This is uh, give it a minute to dry, but that's uh, that's. Uh, Good or an airy angel there. That's a new uh, cover I did for uh, DC. Yes. It's sort of yeah, a sort of nice. a Halloween cover. It's mm-hmm. a Superman eating a chunk of kryptonite because he's a zombie. He's, a zombie. <laughs> he's already dead. Who cares? So now you've done the uh, Batman zombie in the black and white and the right. Superman zombie. Right, in the Superman zombie. Yeah, I absolutely. think that that's probably what caused them to have me do that zombie piece. I guess my first question is, is you've been in the industry since uh, since the gecko. I thought um, you said the gecko. I think it was the gecko. Since the gecko. I wanted to say. <laughs> since the gecko. Since the get-go. Is this really? Oh, get-go. Yeah, since the gecko. Oh, I'm not going to sell you insurance. <laughs> You've seen it go through all kinds of phases, um, uh, different eras. Uh, where do you see the industry going in, in, in the future? Do you, see, you think there's still a future for print, or is it all going digital and movies? I, I, I think that, that the question you ask is a, is a question that uh, I've been asked for the last 10 years, and the answer is always the same. People don't give up what they love. They just find more people to love something else. They're not, uh, they're not easy to uh, surrender something that they appreciate. Yeah, so the question right. is, are all the people who love to read comic books going to die only to be replaced by people who don't go on the Internet and yeah. don't read comic yeah. books? I don't think so. It's true. Um, Since I started reading, I mean, I, I didn't start reading until the, uh, the 90s, and even then they were talking about the industry only having 10 to 15 years max yeah. left, a lifespan. Well, when so, I got in, they said that we had one year. Oh, wow. So it's, it's increased. And, and we're going to be out of business. Uh, the thing that you have to remember is that is that in the if you talk to any comic book store owner, mm-hmm. they'll tell you in the last two years business has become fantastically good. It's good. And in the last six months, even more so. So uh, so you can then sit back and say, well, why is that so with, with the comic books on the internet and uh, film and television uh, uh, showing such a broad face? And the answer to the question is all of the above. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the comic books are on the internet bring allows Uncle Joe and Grandma and people who haven't read comic books to read comic books on the internet. Sure. And so when they walk by a comic book store, why wouldn't they go, hmm, I'd like to get one of those that yeah. I've been reading on the internet yeah. and get some hard copy or get a collection or whatever. They still want something tangible that they, they want, can hold They don't necessarily collect. all. I mean, you get mm-hmm. some people who will insist, I only read comic books on the internet. So what? 
They're yeah. new. They're new readers for the most part. They're not switchovers. So you think uh, print and uh, digital media and movies and television—they're all kind of growing in, in parallel. No, I think side they service side. each other. Okay. I think they make each other more popular. Oh, I agree. No. If the general population becomes more attracted to comic books in general, mm -hmm. and more and more people know the characters and are interested in the characters and are interested in the stories and see the movies and watch the tele like Gotham, mm -hmm. and they do that and they read on the internet, aren't they going to just increase the awareness of comic books? Mm -hmm. We had a time in our country when uh, nine-tenths of the population said, I don't read comic books, my parents never let me do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's changing. All of that's changing. Yeah. So we're really at the cusp. We're at the beginning of the change into in into the general population becoming more and more aware of comic books. We never thought it would happen. But if you go to Japan and you look at manga, you name characters there, and everybody knows them. Uh huh. They all know. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, in uh, in Europe, everybody knows who who Asterix is and Lieutenant mm -hmm. Blueberry and mm -hmm. and uh, and Tintin or Tintin. Yeah. Everybody knows who those characters are. You can't ask a, a person walking down the street who's Tauntaun. Everybody, mm -hmm. everybody knows. Why? Because that's been accepted by the general population. And it's beginning to happen now. The mm -hmm. Flash, oh, who yeah. we think as comic book fans was known by everybody, which was really only known by the smallest percentage of the yeah. population, has got a TV show. Oh, and by the way, he's Barry Allen, yeah. like he ought to be. Yeah. Hello. How about, how, about, <laughs> how about Iron Man? I mean, Iron Man was... Um, you know, at best, it uh, is arguable. Second but a, string. A second tier character. And he is now, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. Right. Everybody knows who he is. Right. And apparently he's yeah. been signed up for 11 movies. Yeah, they need to just... sign him up for 11 more after that. Unbelievable. And, and this, is the, this is the culture that we're, that we're being born into. Mm -hmm. This is not, oh, here's the result of all the work that's been done and all mm -hmm. the stuff that's happened. This is the beginning. So it's no longer a niche market. It has now become, I mean, it, it's obvious that it's become very mainstream thanks to uh, it's becoming very Avengers and, becoming and all very these mainstream, And we're kicking the hell out of European uh, yeah. graphic novels mm -hmm. because they always kind of look down on our superheroes with the skin-tight tights yeah. right. and prefer, you know, the little much more calm storytelling of the way that they did it. Uh -huh. The reason that they thought that they were doing better stuff was because we pissed on our own uh, characters. Mm -hmm. We pissed on our own uh, medium. Mm -hmm. We created comic books. It wasn't Europe. It wasn't Japan. Mm -hmm. We created comic books. And superheroes came from Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two Absolutely. Jewish kids in Cleveland, Ohio. And that they created the comic book genre, even though comic books were printed before then, they were printed as collections of newspaper strips. Sure. And yeah. they were never that popular compared mm -hmm. to, say, Superman or Batman or these uh -huh. other characters. Comic books had to be attacked by the government for them to be put down and and then that did happen and it was a terrible story now now these these books that were being um uh, targeted by the government back then were those the, the like the zombie books and the serial killer horror books, books. horror books oh, they they they, uh, they attacked more than that books that had the word crime on the cover oh wow really? oh terrible stupid and, and this stuff. is something they that implied that comic strips at the top of a fire hydrant looks like a woman's breast. <laughs> just just awful, arguable, awful right? Yeah. Sort of does. Sort of does. Yeah. So the problem is that, that um, Congress had appeared on television mm -hmm. fighting communists, sure. presumably fighting communists, mm -hmm. and they got their glory. They were on television every day uh, testifying and, mm -hmm. and discussing uh, communism. And when that turned to 
then the the uh, they needed, legislators yeah. needed something else. They to needed attack. the next so big they, scandal, right? They went to the dictionary and yeah. got something else to begin with C. Yeah. I call it legislation by dictionary. Yeah. And they found comics, yeah. and uh, and this guy mm-hmm. had written a book to attack comic books, and so they jumped on it. And part of it was that they got to stay on television. Yeah. After that, yeah. they weren't on, tele- weren't on television. Afterwards, they never disappeared. So it was communists and comics. They got to stay on yeah. television. Did a tremendous amount of damage to our country, oh, which absolutely. is what the Congress seems to do almost all the time. Yeah, we were left with a country who, whose parents told their kids not to bring comic books into their own house. I was in the generation mm-hmm. that carried comic books in my back pocket, and we traded comic books. Yeah, you couldn't afford to buy comic books. You could buy one comic book a month, and that was buy it. your comic, your ten cent book, and your friends would buy their comic book, and you would trade. Yeah. And by the end of the month, you had read all the best comic yeah. books as <laughs> you would trade, trade it around. That's how we did it. Mm-hmm. So it took some. Um, some uh, snot uh, comic book artists and writers to kick out of uh, the comics code. I, I, I don't know who those guys were. I think I do. <laughs> I think I do. How was the comics code bypassed then? I noticed. We didn't bypass it, we destroyed it. I did a cover for uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow that had Speedy on the cover. Oh, who yes, had just finished, absolutely. We had yeah. just finished shooting up and he had the fixings there on the table and there was Green Lantern saying, your ward uh, Speedy is a junkie. And I handed it into my editor and who, and who said two things to me after he dropped it like it was hot. One, we'll never print this cover. Right. Two, I'm not going to pay you for it because I didn't ask you to do it. Right. I said, okay. A month later, both of those things proved to be untrue. Uh, Stan Lee came out with a, a comic book in which characters supposedly popped some pills. Yeah, that was a Spider-Man and, comic. And walked off a route. really has to do with how much you know about drug addiction. Mm-hmm. People generally, quote, pop pills, according to what kind of pills yeah. they are, generally curl up in the corner yeah, and stay go there. quiet. <laughs> go very quiet. Yeah, it's a common misconception. The idea of walking <laughs> off a roof is really very much against what you do because you <laughs> yeah, could die the last thing you want to do. Die. Stan didn't really know that much about drug addiction but he did approach the subject and he asked his uncle who was the publisher if he could print the book without Code Seal. Mm-hmm. And his uncle said sure. And as a result nobody noticed. Nobody responded and nobody noticed. The book just got printed. Goodbye. And the people over at DC who had had my cover sitting uh-huh. there for a month suddenly went oh my god he beat us again. Oh no. <laughs> Beat us again. So they called the meeting of the comics code, and within a week they had rewritten the comics code. And then my editor said, make a, make a book. It, in the old code, understand mm-hmm. that not only could you not use the word crime on a cover, you could not imply by word or deed that an official of any federal, state, yeah. or local government yeah, no could yeah. do something dishonest. That's how stupid the code was. I always followed the code when I was doing my comic books mm-hmm. until it came time for the confrontation. And in the final confrontation, I did a cover that smashed into the code like a locomotive. Heroin with heroin fixings yeah. on the table. That's and it, not only that, it was it was that's, the sidekick, too. So it was yeah, it was right, the, the, right. the younger right. character yeah. in it. Right. And that killed the code. You can't name the day that the code stopped no. appearing on comic books. Nobody cares. And that was part of the evolution of comics re-evolving back into our society. Mm-hmm. It, they, comics didn't suddenly become popular after that, but they suddenly attracted the attention of high school and college students. Mm-hmm. People oh, who absolutely. would write letters to the editors on typewriters mm-hmm. rather than on grocery bags. <laughs> very, very different group of people. It's amazing. And now we have a generation of, of brilliant uh, oh, illustrators that are doing comic books.
comic book companies thought, well, this is yeah. going to change something. Yeah. I don't know what's going to change. No, it's not going to change anything immediately. But over a period of time, it's going to change everything. When we brought the Joker back oh, and made yeah. him this maniacal character, mm -hmm. and we can see the evolution of that process and what has happened. Of all the incarnations of the Joker uh, with Heath Ledger and, and the Tim Burton uh, Joker. The next one. The next one's going to be I like the next one. Yeah. You know who I think it should be? Who's that? Who's the last guy that just played Doctor Who? Oh, the 11th Doctor. Um, Matt. Matt Smith. Would he go. not make a great yes. Joker? Yes, he will. He has he would, And it really wouldn't be anything face. like Heath Ledger. And we wouldn't feel bad about Heath Ledger because it would be so different. So the problem with, with names like Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger doing the Joker is they have their own unique take. You can't try to copy that. You have to go completely different. There's faults in everyone. Sure. And there's improvements or there's different differences. Jack Nicholson's Joker was in some weird way an abomination. I think so, terrible, too. terrible makeup on a man who was too old. I agree. He was too short, too, too, too yeah, stocky. It wasn't, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the Joker. Yet, it was the opportunity mm -hmm. to open the door. So he, his impact was greater than his performance. Yeah, in some weird I agree. Kind of way. Uh, my name is Rex Sutherland here in San Diego, and I got a question for Neil, which is, or when you came onto the scene with such a higher level of quality, did it cause a mass exodus of people that just didn't want to play in that that level of quality? Not only, not only, not only did not did that not happen. I never would have let it happen because I would make sure that work was found for those people. But most of the artists that were smart enough, and they were all smart, rose to the occasion and they improved their work. You have uh, Jim Aparo, you have Irv Novik, you have Bob Brown all came to me privately and said, Neil, do you mind if we do your Batman the way you do it? Yeah. And that, and they went ahead and did it. So when I left Batman, I left behind a, a gaggle of guys who could do Batman very much the same mm -hmm. as I did. So nice, nice I would have to admit that that is the case. And also, and also other things that I did to make a difference are not hard to copy. Uh, page design, page layout, better approach to color, adding anatomy, more anatomy, uh, more complete illustration. And the impression that people may have that guys were put out of work is totally the opposite of the truth. The truth was the companies expanded their product and did more titles. My daughter, Christine, took American publishers to Canada to use better printing methods. She, she introduced Cabacore to, uh, to American publishers. Yes, Batman Black and White is a real story. Well, as in there is no such thing as Batman or as a Batman as a zombie, all the other elements in the story are true. That was that was a very different take, because when I read it, I thought it was going to be a straight-up Batman as a zombie story, and by the time you're done, at the end of it, it's not. It really shows you how helpless Batman is to help out with real, actual real-life Real-life stories, yes. which may be yes. a theme that people will continue as time goes by. Uh -huh. In fact, those stories in there are real stories. Uh, from people that you knew or uh, the first, personal experiences? The first person um, who is a woman who almost lost her house sure. as the sheriff and lawyers came to her house to evict her, yeah. uh, works for CGC. Her name is Tonya, and she works. She's the, mo she's the only real steady employee uh, for, uh, what's the name Desert of the company? Wind. Desert Wind. Okay. And Tonya has two, um, two sons. 
And this is exactly what happened to her. The sheriff and lawyers came to her house to evict her, mm -hmm. to kick her out of her house. She had gone to reapply for a loan, as the bank invited her to do. Uh -huh. She filled out all the papers. She had the checks all ready. There was nothing improper about what she was doing. But since they told her not to send the checks in, they were going to evict her they for were not going sending to the checks her. in. Wow. This, the story of people living in their cars, of course, is a well-known story. Sure. The story of people being thrown into jail for 15 years yeah. for, for committing a misdemeanor, yeah. or amounts of misdemeanor, and one guy in jail for the rest of his life for stealing a pair of tube socks. A pair of tube socks, because it was his third strike, right? It was his third strike. Yeah. is a true story, and I got it from Newsweek magazine. Oh, man. So yeah. all of those stories are true stories. Mm -hmm. I didn't fake it in any way. Yeah. I went for the real stuff. Sure. So those people who read that comic book as a Batman comic book, black and white, had better pause yeah, for a moment did. and go, what is going on here? That, this is, yeah. there, is a certain, there, are certain, there are certain waves that move into the future. That is mm -hmm. a wave that will have to move into the future, mm -hmm. where we see real life stories played out in comic book format. Uh -huh. And even with heroes who are basically helpless to do anything about it, yeah. or may, as Batman would, in that case, find his way through the story by becoming Bruce, yeah, Bruce Wayne, Wayne. Yeah. his secret Absolutely. identity. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing, one thing that I've been getting into and I've been uh, talking to Tom about has been uh, motion comics, man. Ah, I my first motion comic that I watched was The Watchmen. I, right. I actually sad and terrible. right off the bat, oh. but I did sit through the entire run. I think it's like uh, eight hours or something like that. It's horrible. It's all eaten alive. It was. It was. You're at, there was one guy doing the voice, and he did all the voices, guys, girls, everything. This, the, the thing that's terrible mm -hmm. about that story for ten years before that, sure, I had been showing animatics or mm -hmm. motion comics. Motion Comics, are yeah. to both DC and Marvel Comics. Uh -huh. They ignored it. So it doesn't matter that we had shown it to them. When it came time for them to attempt to try to do motion comics, they went to the least qualified people on Earth. Marvel was doing the same thing. We went to Marvel and we present, since Watchmen was being done and we sure. saw parts of it, we went to Marvel and said, why don't you, wouldn't you like to do it the right way? And we showed them our stuff. Joe Casada said when they finally showed it to Joe, why don't we have Neil do a, a Frank Miller Wolverine? So we did a Frank Miller Wolverine sample. Is that out there somewhere? No, it's not out oh, there. Oh, wow. That's we a did shame. It as, it is a sample. It's the one where he, Wolverine is climbing up the mountain and there's a bear inside the okay. cave. If you looked at the comic book, just the first couple of pages, and we just did just the first couple of pages uh -huh. until we got to the bear, it would blow you away to see the sure. motion comic. Who's like, the wind is blowing, the, the sleet yeah. is snowing, the uh, air, sound effects are there, everything is there. So we showed that sample to Marvel. They were stunned. They couldn't understand how we had gotten what we got out uh -huh. of what they gave us. Finally, they said, we would like you to do this X-Men thing. Oh, absolutely. They're gifted, right? Gifted. Yes. And so we accepted it as a job. What I didn't, and, and I did, we did, the, I, said, I think, the first uh, book mm -hmm. in a month. And this, this was Joss Whedon's uh, Astonishing X-Men, the, the, the gifted Joss Whedon, art. John Cassidy. Yes. Oh, yes. Great right? book. Great story. Right. We used their artwork, used the yeah. artwork, and oh, used yeah. every single yeah. word. Didn't change the words. Yeah. Used all the artwork. If you read it and you read the book, they match. The interesting thing about that is they're on staff, Marvel, had been trying to do the same thing for two years. <laughs> now, 
being businesses, they then had to monetize that. Mm -hmm. They spent a fair amount of money on it. Uh -huh. And so they had trouble monetizing it because Marvel Comics, and any comic book company, is used to making money within the first week of publication. Sure. For them to monetize Gifted, uh -huh. they had to put it on the internet, put it on DVD, DVDs, or, yeah, yeah. do it like this, and be paid, get their, make their money over a period of time. Sure. So it took them a half a year mm -hmm. to monetize, to have it make more money than they spent on it. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, they went, they looked for a cheaper way to do it. So they went to Canada. And they had a Canadian company do the next book. So your company, uh, uh, Continuity, didn't do um, the, the Thor or the, no. the Spider-Woman? No. Wow. And, it, and you'll remember the Thor began really good, and then yes. it kind of yes. went down. Yes, that's absolutely right. And the Spider-Woman, nothing, no mm -hmm. moving mouths, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Gifted still stands as the best motion comic so far. Yeah, absolutely. Until you see blood. <laughs> now, I, I did see, see the uh, the preview on your on your website right. where you're mixing uh, 3D effects right. along with the, uh, the 2D stuff. Absolutely. There are no limits. I mean, I don't think, I don't believe in uh, uh, tying uh, creative people's hands. Oh, absolutely. The that's, idea that's is the to worst thing you could do. Do the best you can and make it happen. So mm -hmm. we are doing, we're doing a couple of things with blood. First, we are doing a motion comic with blood. Then we are taking the motion comic and we're monetizing it. Mm -hmm. And then we're taking the motion comic and doing a full computer animated version of it. Oh, wow and monetizing that mm -hmm. and then trying to get somebody to shoot the film unless I can shoot it because if I monetize each step as I mm -hmm. go I can afford to do the next do the next one get have all your bases covered exactly yeah. exactly so that's what I'm doing with blood the other thing that we're doing with blood is since the first uh, book is done mm -hmm. uh, at Dark Horse we're doing a cover what is a lenticular lens that is both three-dimensional and animated oh when is that coming out as soon as we can get as it out, as you get out. <laughs> we're working on it right now. You've always been on top of uh, the different covers, huh? The the unique. I'm covers. always on. I'm always on top of anything that's things. new. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anything that's new. anything that's new and different. Anything. Any new way to to do what we do to find a, another way to do it. I do anything that's new. Anything that falls into my hand that's new, mm -hmm. that I can show what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And remember that I haven't really done regular comic books for 20 years sure. until yeah, I yeah. did right. Batman Odyssey. Batman Odyssey is a blowaway comic book. You don't know it because you haven't read it. When you read it, and only then, when you read it from cover to cover, will you be blown away and you'll see what the potential for graphic novels are. I'm going to tell you what Batman Odyssey is about. Sure. It's about 300 pages <laughs> to begin with. And it's about Batman on an Odyssey. So if you're going to do an Odyssey, pretty much it better be a gigantic life voyage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so if Batman gets on a, I don't know, a motorcycle, rides down to the 7-Eleven, comes back, not a big trip. <laughs> when he gets on one of these things, a pterodactyl, and flies it underground into the underworld, Yep. Neil's showing us uh, uh, the pretty cover of Batman much, Odyssey. Yeah, it's pretty a, much Batman running a pterodactyl. Pretty much a very deep and long and hard trip. Now, why is he taking this trip? He's taking this trip because do you know who the sensei is? Sensei is the head of the League of Assassins. Okay. He was first introduced in Dead Man. He is the son of Ra's al Ghul. He hasn't gotten to go to the Lazarus Pit. And he's kind of pissed off because he's gotten older while Dad yeah. stays young. So if you were to write down a list of his grievances, that would be the top number, be number one, one grievance. So he's decided to kill his father. Mm -hmm. He's decided to kill Batman. He's decided to kill Talia and anybody associated with them or that they love. Ra's al Ghul goes within this book to Batman and says, you need to help me. 
save me from my son. Batman says, I don't care if he kills you. Yeah. You're a rat. Yeah. You, should, you know, if he does, you know, I, I pat him on the back. And, you know, that would be good for the world. Yeah. Ra's al Ghul says, no, no, you don't understand. He's going to kill me and you and Talia and everybody, and everybody you know else. and love. And he's got 6,000 assassins around the world that mm -hmm. can do a tremendous amount of damage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also coming into a new time in the world. I mean, AK-47s are everywhere. Sure. You put somebody into jail, they go to Arkham Asylum, they go from Arkham Asylum, they get released, or somehow they get out a month later and start killing people. Yeah. Excuse me? Isn't that Batman's responsibility? Mm -hmm. Didn't Batman allow that to happen by not no. killing him? Yes, exactly. I think we all agree with that. We all actually find it hard to accept Batman not killing the bad guys when he knows they're going to go out and kill again. Mm -hmm. What's Batman going to do? He's going to go on an odyssey to find himself. And it's going to take 300 pages, but I'm not going to show you the 300 pages. <laughs> Because I don't have to. I'm going to go right to the end of the book. About eight pages from the end of the book. Okay, and I'm going to show you this. So Batman finally takes... That uh, is the sensei. The sensei's life. That is Bruce Wayne Batman. And that is a 45 automatic. Well, yeah, they're going to be scared, right? Because they're, they've always gotten away with it. They've always gotten away with it. Batman has a lot of blood on his hands because he's let these guys... Would you like to read a couple of paragraphs into the microphone? So Batman says, new rules. If you must, you can kill each other and be punished. That is for the system to work out. But if you kill a civilian or an officer of the law, I will track you down. And I will find you. And I will kill you. Dead. Run. Run and hide. I am your lifetime's enemy and I will find you. You saw what happened here tonight. Talk to Reuben Irons and ask him what would happen if that little girl died. Ask him. And then the Mad Hatter says, uh, what does he mean? And the Joker says, uh, seriously, Batty, that's not funny. So the rules have changed. Who am I? Neil Adams. That's right. I'm yeah. Neil Adams. Would I ever let Batman down? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely That's not. That's right. As Neil Adams and as the writer of this book, I would uh -huh. never let Batman shoot anybody. I would never let Batman kill anybody mm -hmm. with a gun. His parents were killed with him by yeah, a gun yeah. in front of him. Yes, absolutely. And he has vowed never to use a gun on criminals. On the other hand, yep. he's been through an odyssey. Mm -hmm. So how is it you saw what you just saw? Yes. There are five more pages to the book. Yeah, you got to read the book. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I wrote a story, a novel, mm -hmm. that you have to read and you have to understand what I actually did in there. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't what I did was I traveled behind everybody else who was doing Batman and I noticed when people dropped things and then I went and picked them up and I picked up something else and I picked up something else and I picked up something else. So the, all these little things left scattered around in the wake of all these stories that has have happened to Batman uh -huh. that nobody stopped and said, hey, wait a second. We haven't done this. What's going on here? Yeah. I'll give you an example. Well, I'll give you two examples. Sure. First, how was Dead Man killed? He was a um, um, an aerialist. An aerialist, yes. And a an assassin okay. from the League of Assassins, mm -hmm. run by the Sensei, assassinate him in public as a random crime. Now, according to Frank Miller, how were Robin's parents killed? Same thing. On probably were yeah on the trapeze. <laughs> So yeah, so there's definitely a, a, a connection there, yeah. A connection. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hello. You'll realize oh, that at the same instant Robin realizes it. Where and when did Ra's al Ghul tell Batman that he knew he was Bruce Wayne? In a story by Danny O'Neill and myself, when we first really meet Ra's al Ghul face to face, he is with Ubu and he is in the Batcave and he is facing Batman, telling him that Robin and Talia have both been kidnapped by these people. Mm -hmm. 
okay, and being held for ransom. Mm -hmm. And Batman has to go and rescue them. That is the story as we hear it historically. Sure. Okay. So we are now introducing Ra's al Ghul as Batman's Moriarty. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Equal in intelligence uh -huh. and ability. Cunning and everything. Cunning and everything yeah. else. And we are to believe that Ra's al Ghul figured out. On his own. He, fi he, he figured it his, out. Yes. Figured it out. Now, if you study enough history, you will discover that the bad guy always lies. So Batman's introduction to Ra's al Ghul, not for you, mm -hmm. but for him, immediately establish, establishes Ra's al Ghul as a liar. As a manipulator. Anything yeah. he says in the future mm -hmm. will be a lie. Now, how was he able to figure that out? Mm -hmm. It is possible mm -hmm. that somebody brilliant as Moriarty or Ra's al Ghul could figure out. Yeah, to put it together. Possible. Yeah. Hard. Mm -hmm. Because nobody else has, yeah. as we know, mm -hmm. figured it out. It's possible that he could have figured it out. Mm -hmm. Okay, how could he possibly know there was a bat cave? Yeah, couldn't. The only one that knows there's a bat cave is Man Bat, who stumbled upon it accidentally. Batman knew Ra's al Ghul was a liar from the very first moment he met him, and that everything he would say would be a lie. So that if you read that book and uh -huh. you believe Ra's al Ghul telling a story uh -huh. about his own son, and you know that, you will know that everything he's saying this is a lie. Yeah. And it is quite possible, if you studied any martial arts, mm -hmm. that you will realize that the sensei will probably never tell a lie because it's within the code of martial artists not to have to lie. I've just revealed it. Lotus <laughs> and now I'm doing Jack Kirby and New Gods. Oh, you're doing the New Gods. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So do you keep up with all the movies and the TV shows and the animated stuff? Well, in a reasonable way. I yeah. don't go crazy. Have you been watching Gotham or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, I've been watching Gotham. I've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I feel the same way everybody else feels. The first year sucked. A little bit, didn't it? Can't we have some superheroes yeah. doing some shit? The Thank second. you. Oh my God. No, I mean, everybody knows. Everybody feels the same way. We want to see. We want to see. It's supposed to be about comic books. Yeah. Even the plane doesn't look like a shield helicarrier. No. Why couldn't they do a mini helicarrier? Yeah. You know. Yeah. That would. How hard would that be? It's a model. Have you been watching this second season? It almost sounds like they've been hearing the uh, complaints and they're starting to That's step it up. That's the impression that we have. Yeah. That they've been listening yeah. to the to the uh, audience audience yeah. and trying to do it give me some more I yeah, just, just come on give me a, yeah. a team of bad guys that have superpowers and, and have and, to pull somebody out, out of the ice or something yeah. and, and, do and, something and their argument has always been that the show was always about the agents which which is fine but they still have to overcome these these super metahuman types I understand if their argument is that then how about a really good dramatic show like Gotham yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with capturing the villain, not necessarily in the same show, but no. that leads up to the breakout. No, you want to you want to mastermind collecting these guys and putting them together yeah. in a super team. Uh, you know, are you ever consulted for for any of these shows? Because they really should. Today, they really should. No, I know, I know. So now uh, on the on the flip side of that. Um, Arrow, which is, you know, you, you worked on Green Arrow for a while. How do you like the... For a while? The Excuse me. I think I created Green Arrow yes. out of nothing. Yes, absolutely. Out of dross. Yeah, what's well, your take okay. on the current okay. incarnation? So this is, this, is how, this is how it works. At the end of the first season, I'm at the San Diego Convention, right? And I get three people come up to me, and they say, uh, you know, glad to meet you, blah, blah, blah. 
We're the writers on the Arrow show. <laughs> really? Really? Did you sit him down right next to you? Oh, hang on. <laughs> You know, after having been tossed little things like, "Oh, what name of the corner of the, you know, the, of the block?" and it's uh-huh. it's uh, O'Neill and Adams. Yeah. Like, oh, Thank you. What do I think of the show? Oh, yeah, that was great. It's almost like a cameo. You know? yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. So I say, so what do you think of the show? I says, okay. So am I just gonna bullshit you, or should I tell you the truth? They said, no, but no. You just want me to bullshit. Suck. <laughs> no, no, we don't want. No, we don't want. I, to. So I said, well, I said, you, you want me to tell you the truth? So I said, well, okay. Shooting people in the in the heart with an arrow and killing them, not green arrow. Not green arrow not, at all. Really, not a good idea. That's stupid. They said, well, where do you see the next season? Mm-hmm. Really? You're gonna stop them from killing people? That's very good. I, I, I like that. So, is there anything else you'd like? You could put a smile on his face every once in a while. Yeah, it's very because dark it's for a grim. Show. So they tried to make nice, and so tell me that what was coming up. So, I call it the Neil Adams show now. The deal, yeah. <laughs> Looking back, do you ever picture? I back don't look back. Ever. Incidentally, well, did you ever? Did you ever picture? I always look forward. You should realize that by now. You've yeah. asked me enough questions, where I've been at the forefront of almost everything. Uh-huh. Last book I did before I left comic, not that I left comic books, I published my own stuff, Superman vs. Muhammad Ali. That was an iconic cover. Iconic cover, excuse me, iconic book. The most memorable comic book. Why? It's got 172 people on that cover. Yeah, on that cover. It's Joe Kubert's layout. That cover was redone. That was done in 1977, just when Ali won the title for mm-hmm. the third time. Mm-hmm. So it participated in history. It also went around the world, and all the free nations of the world reprinted that with record-breaking numbers. Oh, wow. All around, yeah. Well, they actually like black people around the world, but unlike <laughs> Americans, who have a little trouble yeah. with people of slightly different color. Absolutely. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Uh huh. Oh yeah. Around the world, they think it's good. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. So doing that book broke new ground mm-hmm. in many different ways. How many different ways? It made a a politically uh, incorrect person into a comic book superhero. It looked like Ali. It talked like Ali. We used his words. Mm-hmm. Okay. He fought for the earth. He mm-hmm. won the battle. He mm-hmm. was the champion. Uh, he had a cover on it that had all the famous people you might like to have. Some of them didn't want their faces. No. Uh, and they demanded yeah. that you take we take them off. Those. John Wayne, among others. He didn't want his face on that cover. No, I put a mustache on him and left him. <laughs> <laughs> Screw him. Deal with it. <laughs> so there's lots of stories about that book. Mm-hmm. The most recent story about that particular book is that in in the new reissue, small and large size. Small size sucks because it's so small. Large size is great. I used the photographs of Ali to color Ali with computers. You could take a picture of your face, do a drawing of it, and take the photo, mm-hmm. take out the eyeballs, the nostrils, and the mouth, and mm-hmm. teeth, and put it underneath the drawing and color the drawing with your photograph. Never been done before in common. And it was the perfect opportunity to do it because those photos still existed that I traced the first time. Uh-huh. It was done in 1977, in the year 1999, just before the year 2000. ESPN Magazine, the art director for ESPN Magazine, the sports magazine, called me, a woman who happened to be a comic book fan, and said, we're gonna have on our cover the 100 greatest athletes of the century, and I don't wanna do 100 little postage stamp faces of all these people. 
people. I would like you to do that cover over again. Only the two front runners are Ollie and Jordan. I like them in the ring boxing, and the other 98 of the greatest athletes of the century around the ring watching. How would you like to do that cover? I said over my dead body. Yeah, there's no way. She said, she said, how about for money? Got your attention a little bit. So I did it. So that was done for ESPN magazine for three million subscribers. Oh wow. Among which were five comic book fans. <laughs> yeah, there was I think I know them. I think I know them. Hey Buzz. Do we have the ESPN magazine cover? Yeah. Can I see it? Oh, wow. There's also the legend on them. Take a look at that. You'll notice that O.J. Simpson is below two horses. I mean, just the horse. I felt that was the right place for him. In among the horse When DC started, all its heroes were born of whole cloth and were beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. So when they became heroes or superheroes, they already were nice guys. Yeah. When it, when it came time for Marvel to do this sort of thing, the thing that people don't know was that before this, before Marvel took off, Stan Lee used to have five basic plots. One of them was exemplified by Gogog the Mogog, who took over planets, many planets, and he would come to Earth, and he comes to Earth, and he's about a foot and a half high. The magician story about a surgeon who, you know, messed up his hands. Sure, broke his yeah, and he becomes a becomes becomes a magician. And, and, he, and he's a rotten guy, but he's not compared to Baron Mordo, a Baron Mordo type character mm. who is even more rotten. When Jack Kirby came to Marvel again for like a third time, Jack convinced Stan, why don't we take one of your plots and make it a 22-page story instead of a six-page story? So four people go off into space and they come back monsters. Just happened to be the Fantastic Four. Or gamma rays hit somebody running across the desert, becomes a Hulk rampaging Hulk. Be becomes a monster. Becomes a monster. Yeah. They're all flawed in some they're way. They're all they monsters. Flawed no, they're monsters. Okay. They're really awful. They're yeah. not even yeah. all right. You yeah. know, the closest to being good guys are the Fantastic Four. Yeah. But Ant Man is a skeevy guy who beat his wife. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. The Hulk was a, 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 yeah. a mindless monster who destroyed things. Mm -hmm. Even Doctor Strange, he was a, a surgeon who would only operate on people who could afford a $100,000 yes. operation. Yes. And his hands went bad, and he goes off into the mountains to become a sorcerer to cure his hands. And the only person worse than him is Baron Mordo. So yeah. by comparison, he's not too bad. He's not as bad. Yeah. Not too, Tony Stark was a, a rat industrialist yeah. whose heart had a problem yeah. so he fixed himself and turned himself into what amounted to a hero but only by comparison yes. to everything around him. Uh -huh. Even Spider-Man practically got his Uncle Ben killed yeah. by being an, a total Totally. Yeah. yeah. A minefield of difference. There's uh -huh. no, not anywhere near the same. Batman is the closest to a Marvel character that you could find. Oh, I've always said that. Oh, I've always you know? said that. Absolutely. So there's a very big schism between the characters, mm -hmm. whether they do them in the TV shows. And it's too bad that in some ways that the guys who do the TV shows don't get it. So they're going to do the two Justice League movies not before John the Green Lantern. He's the only, John, he's the only Green Lantern that, that 10 million people see every week. Absolutely. And they announced Stupid. they're going to do a Flash movie, but not with this actor. My pleasure. That's, that's a huge mistake. They really should incorporate what they're doing on TV with what they're doing. It's it's there. It's right there for them. Except Hollywood doesn't oh like They're in control of both of them. Oh, God. And make him a movie. Oh, forget that. My God. They already have the audience. They already have the background, the origin. They already have the groundwork. You mentioned you like doing obscure characters. What did you think of the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Are Which you were kidding? obscure. Are you kidding? Obscure. Wonderful. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Let me tell you the uh, why they did Gar Guardians of the Galaxy, unless you already know. Uh, no, please enlighten me. Yes. <laughs> Marvel used to circulate a list of 2002 characters that they owned. They sold them all. Yeah. Sold Spider-Man, yeah. X-Men, all the rest of them. A big hitters, too. Big hitters. Big all their characters. Yeah. And, they, and they sold them in such a way they're very, very hard to get back. Yeah. All they had left was the Avengers. Yeah. And the Avengers were kind of mobile because you never knew who was in the Avengers. Yeah. That's why they had trouble selling them yeah okay when disney was going to buy marvel what kind of pig in a poke did they think they were buying the avengers that's it can i sign something for you yeah <laughs> this background was also done in pencil who collected these i did and did you go out of your way to get uh batman pencil batman covers that were the backgrounds were in pencil no i did not no well you got three three for three so I'd why were they done in pencil because that seemed to be the best thing to do at the time, and nobody else knew you could do it. I drove uh, DC Comics crazy. You can't print gray. You can't do that in pencil. Yes, I can. No, you can't. It won't reproduce. It's gray. You can't do that. It won't get black. It's gray. <laughs> Only you, uniquely you, unlike all the children who have good taste, yes. have given me a sloppy comic book. You're not fond of that, that book? I'm just making fun. Because it's not in pencil, the background it's, isn't There's pencil. no pencil background. <laughs> Did, did you butt heads more with the DC I didn't guys in the Marvel? Heads. Did that sound like butting heads? No, no, no. It wasn't no, no. butting heads. It's making fun. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me reword it. Was it was it easier to work with one company than the other as far as uh, creative freedom and, and, and All ideas? A bunch of jerks. The only people that aren't jerks are the artists. Artists are like they're like, oh yeah, oh cool. Let me see that. But the executives and the yeah, production the men are a bunch of jerks. They don't want to get fired because you did something stupid. Yeah. One editor at DC Comics lost his job because he let Frank Miller put curse words into a script. Now he works for Legendary. Okay. There's a film company that makes yes. comic books with yes. Frank Miller and yes. other small number of people. So they can turn them into films. Okay. That didn't work out so badly for him. Yeah, <laughs> he, did. he ended up all right. I remember when uh, when my uh, production manager said, you can't print a double-page spread across... Unless it's the center of the magazine, you can't print it across two pages. Really? I think you can. You know, on the presses that they use today, especially at Cabacor, you really can't be off more than about an eighth of an inch. So as long as you plan the thing so that it doesn't depend on the register, pretty much it's going to be fine. Like, don't put the words on the crease. <laughs> yeah, that's a good That move. would be a, yeah. a dumb idea. And you can put your art into the gutter. And on the other one, you go, no, you can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, they, tr they trim the page. Well, they don't trim the gutter. No, they don't trim the gutter. So, Sal, if I, if I have a page and I bleed it in the center, and I know it's the center, but I don't bleed the top and the outer edges, as long as I stop my art right at the crease. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't know that for sure it's the crease. <laughs> so I can bleed the whole page. <laughs> Only in the center do I have to worry about a crease. Those are the looks you had to deal <laughs> with. <laughs> <laughs> really just like... You know, I listened to uh, a couple of the shows you did with uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith? On his uh, podcast. Some of the greatest stories I've ever heard. That's just You're true. You're a master storyteller. I am true. I hate to admit it, but <laughs> since everybody tells you, me, you me, pretty much. If you don't admit it, nobody else will. So. Well, you know, you know, you hate people who have false humility. And they go, "Oh no, I'm not that good a story." Oh yes, you are. No, you're no, no, really, no, you really, I really are. Do you plan on getting with him anytime soon again? And getting with him. Last time we had sex. Oh, no. I heard it was good though. With that fat boy. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. You can't find his.
Oh, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I apologize, Kevin. Wherever you are, I apologize. I apologize. Oh, I apologize. Later, later on, Meryl. Like, Why did you say that? No, it's it's already happening now. She's already shaking her head behind you. <laughs> She's already tweeting. Kevin Smith. Kevin, I did. Right now, uh, somebody, Kevin. Somebody, somebody ran in the room and said that and pretended to be me. I was just going through looking for things to pull for them to buy, for you to sign, and it dawned on me, I've always wondered how you ended up that cover artist and what was the whole idea for DC back in 69. A lot of it had to do with um, I was new, and I was more of a finished artist. When comic books began, uh, what happened was that the printers were printing comic books of syndicated strips. When they ran out of strips to print, they went out and got teenage kids from the Lower East Side, mostly Jewish kids, who were talented but were 13, 14, 15, 16. Joe Kubert started when he was 13 and started having them draw comic books. Well, when you start somebody drawing comic books or doing anything when they're so young, they very often don't get better because somebody's paying them. You're paying them to do this, so they must be okay. So in their heads, they lock themselves into doing bad art, and they never get any better. When I came into comic books, nobody was hiring people for comic books. I went everywhere. And when I got out of high school, my pages, my work, because I had to, because I was poor, I had to survive. I had to make a living doing drawing, which was impossible because the comic books were going to go out of business in a year. And so when I showed my samples, I wanted my samples to be professional. So I would do 10 times as much work as anybody else until my work got professional. So when I showed my artwork, I was showing professional pages. And yet they would, they rejected me. <laughs> rejected me not because they, they thought the work was bad, but because they knew they were going out of business in a year. So I went on and I did other things. I did backgrounds for a syndicated strip for a Western. I did uh, advertising. I did uh, story, storyboards for uh, uh, advertising agencies. I did illustrations. I did uh, paintings. I did everything. Movie posters, everything. I did the world. I trained myself as a finished artist. I got as good as I could get within the framework of the fact that I had to do all of this stuff to make a living and support my family and take care of everything. When I came back into comic books, I had already been an illustrator, uh, worked for Johnstone and Cushing that did comics for advertising. I did movie posters. I did everything under the sun. People think that my career started at DC Comics. No, I had a whole career. For me, it looked like they'd hired a yeah, professional right. to, to bring up the level of commitment right. to the art. Right. And but I you were the art, you were the cover guy for so and, much and of it. And to be perfectly honest, I had to bring myself down compared to what I was capable of doing. So there was a particular editor, a Mort Weisinger or Robert Kaniger. No, that... no, I, I hated them all. The it seems that they equal, hated all of you, too. Because they were a bunch of jerks. No, they, somehow they had got around DC Comics that you had to be an to be an editor and I and I don't know why they had gone past 1953 1954 when comic books were attacked and these guys were the guys that were survived and so they knew the rule if you stepped outside of the rules they'd crush you and they didn't put up with until I came Joe Kubert didn't put up with I went to Joe Kubert and I said Joe heard a lot of stuff about Bob Kaniger I said uh, have you had any trouble with him Joe said, no. I said, never? I mean, he rubs people wrong. Does he really? Never. I never have a problem with him. Okay, I get it. Because if he did, 
break his arm. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Kaniger was known as a guy who would bring a man to tears. That's, that's how much of a jerk he was. So I found working with him pretty good. I did a story, and then he gave me a script, and I did another story. I brought in the second story. First time I brought in a story, he didn't have time to talk to me. Second time, he had time. So I sat down, and he said, Neil, I need some changes in this because I don't feel that you're, you know, telling the story the way I need it to be told. You know, I'm I'm a painter myself, and, uh, you know, I, I go to the Alps, and I, and I do these <laughs> paintings and stuff. Yeah. I said, I said, hold on, Bob, just hold on a second. And so I went over to the door and I closed the door and I locked the door. And I said, okay, I think it ought to be this way. I don't think you're the greatest writer in the world, but I don't think you're a terrible writer. You have certain habits, fine. I don't think that I should criticize you. I don't think it's my job to criticize your writing. And I agree that I will not criticize your writing, whether I like it or I don't like it. I think that you and I should agree that you're not going to criticize my artwork on the same basis. You do the writing and I sure. do the artwork. And I think that's the arrangement we should have. And I think that's fair. He said, well, okay, I guess that's okay. I went over and unlocked the door and opened it up. I got along with Bob Cantor yeah. perfectly yeah, since then. <laughs> Ever since then, he told me about his conquests. I was his best friend, whatever the hell it was. One of the last things I, Joe ever said to me was, we were in the middle of a conversation, I'd covered a couple of topics, and we were shooting video and film. And I said to him, you know, it's possible I might be able to get some work for some of your seniors, you know, out there in the commercial world. How would you like it? He said, no, I don't want you to do that. I said, well, I'm just saying that, you know, if, if you if you have some favorites that you'd like me to, maybe, maybe I could get some work for them, help them pay, you know, their tuition. So he said, no, no, I don't like people, I don't really want people to get work until they graduate. Not, I don't want to step on that. I'm just saying that the possibility exists that you could get some work. He said, if you do it, I'll break your arm. <laughs> In my head, I said, yeah, and if you did, I'd want to get it on video. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to get video of Joe Kubert breaking my arm. arm. Jesus Christ. Working at Marvel and DC at the same time. You were one of the first ones to do it without changing your name. The story goes, um, Jim Steranko came to visit me over at DC Comics after I had done uh, Hey, a Jim Steranko effect in the steam that rose up in a dead man story. You, you know that? So Jim Steranko, when he found out about it, came over to visit me at DC Comics. I said, I hope you're not offended by that. He said, no, he loved it. I asked him, what is this um, Marvel style? How does it work? He said, well, you draw the story and Stan puts in the words. Sounds great. So I get to write the story, essentially, and Stan just puts in the dialogue. I said, well, how do you tell Stan what the stuff? He says, you write it along the side of the page. I went over and made an appointment to see Stan. Oh, Neil, oh, one. <laughs> Stan, I'd like to do a book for, for Marvel. What do you have available? He said, you can do any book you want. I said, well, you don't mean that. I mean, you have different people assigned to different books. You can't just dump them off of a book. He said, no, no, any book you want to do, you can do. I said, Stan, I, I don't really think you mean that. I mean, that's, that, first of all, it's insulting to, some, you know, to somebody. I said, why are you saying that? He said, because the only book here at Marvel anybody reads is Dead Man. Okay, I get that. <laughs> so they only read your book, yeah? <laughs> so, okay. uh, so, Stan, what is your worst-selling title? And Stan said, uh, well, our worst-selling title is X-Men. We're going to cancel yeah, it in two yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, it's on the brink of cancellation. So I said, well, then I'd like to do X-Men. He said, well, Neil, I don't think you heard me. I'm, <laughs> our worst-selling title is X-Men. We're going to cancel it in two issues. I said, well, in that case, working in the Marvel style, you're really not going to pay much attention to what I do in those two issues. He said, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> not. I said, well, in that case, I'd like to do those issues. 
So he said, okay, so I'll make a deal with you. You do X-Men, we cancel it, and then you do an important title like The Avengers. That's not funny right now, but about 10 years ago, that was hysterical because Avengers sucked. <laughs> Just saying. Now it's not funny because Avengers is like a big deal. So I said, okay, that sounds like a that sounds like a deal. He said, so how do you want us to list your name? I said, Neil Adams. <laughs> he said, well, a lot of times uh, artists don't want if they come to another company they don't yeah. want their, their name used because the company will be upset with them. Yeah. I said, well, okay, I'm not concerned about it, so just call me Neil. He said, oh, okay. Um, well, you know, Neil, if, if you're working for us, I'm not altogether sure that we really, really want you to work for DC Comics. I said, well, then goodbye, Stan. He said, no, no, hold on. <laughs> Hang on. Just hold on. No, it's okay. It's fine. That was the last time anybody changed their name working for the other <laughs> Nice. Guy. Hi, my name is Peter, and I'd I like to ask the question, question for Neil. Who was, in your opinion, the most difficult character to draw? Spider-Man. And why? Giant pain in the butt. It's all those webs. Because they all go somewhere. They all You have to figure out where they go, and there's like three on his forehead and two on the front of his face. It's like, why isn't there one in the middle? I don't. That doesn't make any sense. And you have to count them out. You know, it's just very, very hard. And he hasn't even got a face to draw. Just got this shape. You know, it's got and the like, shape. <laughs> and ever since Todd McFarlane has these gigantic eyes, and then now every once in a while somebody will draw small eyes, and I'll go, but that's not Todd's yeah. eyes. <laughs> it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. It's not. It's weird. Dedication to. Actually, would you subtitle it? Three cows shot me down. Three cows. That is your. That was your. Yeah. That shows you what a tight ass Roy Thomas is. <laughs> you know, I came in with this great cover of like the Vision coming into the other Avengers, and he says, Three cows shot me down." Now, oh, isn't that a great title? Let me think about it. You know, three cows shot me down. Three, three cows. So he called it what? The Andromeda Swarm. Something like that. It's just like. Really? The Andromeda Swarm? Who gives a <laughs> Three cows shot me down. What could be a better title than that? You know, it's like, if it wasn't for that horse, I would have graduated that year. <laughs> what? Great title. I'm just saying, you know? And if you, if you saw the title page, you could see I, my, I had lettered the title in there. And they lettered over Andromeda Swarm. Really? So bad. Neil describing, uh, Do You Dare Enter the House of Mystery? Uh, he was the uh, DC House Salomon of Mystery Dover, book, number 191. Is an art teacher, but he's a small little artist. And uh, and I thought, small little artist, that would be good. Smaller than the kids. Kinda did he ever find out you did the... Oh, yeah, I told him. <laughs> I told him I had to. I told him it was based on, uh, what's his her name? Carol Fine, who worked for uh, Carmen Infantino. And... Uh, some people say things, blurt things out incorrectly, badly, awfully in some way, and you can never take them back. Somebody was taking uh, Sal through DC Comics, and he would always wear like a little suit, but he was small, and he would stand up very straight, but he was short. He was like, I don't know, four, eight, or nine, four, eight, or nine, never made five feet. And that person was introducing Sal to different people, and they were going to take him into Carmine, and she was Carmine's assistant, and she was outside his office. And she, he, that person had introduced him to someone, 
And she turned around and looked at him, and she said, Oh, what a cute little artist! Oh, no. <laughs> that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear. What yeah. a cute little artist. Just in case you don't know about 7-Eleven coffee. Okay. Okay. You make your own coffee. What's good about that? You make your own coffee. Absolutely. It's yeah. there. Okay. You can get light roast, breakfast, what they call breakfast roast. Mm-hmm. You can get... Uh, French roast, mm-hmm. which is darker, mm-hmm. which you can mix with your breakfast roast. Oh, I see. You understand? Yeah. And then you can get a hazelnut and the other flavors. All the flavorings. And right next to that, they have a machine. And out of the machine, you can get different flavors of drink. And you can get a hot chocolate. Like a hot chocolate, yeah, yeah. You can get a hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. So you can take your cup, okay, go to the hot chocolate machine, set it there, press the button for as long as you want, yeah. get as much hot chocolate as you want, go to the breakfast and French roast, <laughs> have a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> however you want, whatever that cup of coffee is that you want. Now, if you don't like that, you can go and do something else. But yeah. you're totally in control. Yeah. And when you take it up to the counter... You've got this two cups of coffee for like a a dollar thirty nine. Yeah. What the hell is that? Why are they not advertising that? I'm just saying. Why are they not selling that? Incredible. Buzz, when we go into a convention, if he knows where there's a Seven Eleven, he goes and gets me two big Seven Eleven with hot chocolate. With hot chocolate. Two thirds hot chocolate and the rest coffee. Right, Buzz? Right, right. Throw Snickers bars in there. And I play the numbers in there. And he wins. And he wins. You got the luck, huh? You could really. Hate him, but he'll go and do the scratch cards and win. Buzz, you played the scratch cards? Yeah. Did you win? Well, yeah. How much did you win? Well, I invest. I bought about thirty-three dollars worth of cards, and I just got thirty-three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> really, really does it all the time. This is not like oh, I got a long streak of losing. You know, it's like uh, this is Buzz. He goes, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? That means ten times seven or three or whatever. The, but what does that mean? Uh, this one's just there for thirty bucks. Hold on, let me do some more. And he wins. He's been waiting for me to lose. Oh. So he can go, Aha! Evil of gambling. And you should never do that. And he never man. loses. So it hasn't happened yet. My wife is lucky like he is. In Frankfurt, Germany, they have sex shops. And they have machines that you can gamble on. And this was <laughs> That's at, a good combination. This is, this is at 2 o'clock in the morning. They had their some of their slot machines or whatever they had were in a cage thing that was all locked up. But the one was sitting mm-hmm. on the side, right? And it was sort of like a pinball machine or I don't know what it was. And you would do something and, and you would build up points. Huh? And I don't know if you shook the machine or you hit some buttons. It wasn't like a regular pinball machine. But you'd, your points would go up and go up, right? If you kept playing, if you were lucky, I'm tired, and then I'm hearing ding 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 What did you just play? Ding 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 and the and the thing spits out two little tokens. The hell is that? You just <laughs> what, what did you? Yeah, what did you get? Two like ten fennec pieces? She says, I don't know what they are. <laughs> and there's a sign on the machine that says, you know, if if you win something, see management. It's two o'clock in the morning. We're in an airport. What's management? You know, like, <laughs> they close up everything. So she goes searching off to find whoever it is and get this sleepy-eyed guy. Is like. Uh, Oh, 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 
and he gave you 900 marks. 900 marks! Oh, wow. <laughs> Paid for our plane ride like, back and forth. It's like seven or eight hundred dollars. What is that? Oh, jeez. I still have a scratch card that I won a grand on. We did a show in Connecticut. Wait a second. Before he even tells the story, he wiped the deli out of money. He wiped him out of money. They ran out of cash. They ran out of cash. Unbelievable. I had to go to a lottery, and we were leaving that day, so I still have it. I got two more months before Could, I can. I have to take a drive to Connecticut. To you have to drive to Connecticut to get <laughs> to get a thousand dollars. But he but he had one other stuff that yeah. he cashed in, which drained them of money, and they couldn't give him a thousand dollars. We don't have any more uh, petty cash to give you from the I'm lottery. Sorry. Machine. So Neil, if, if 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 one of the either one of the two major studios came up and asked you, hey Neil, would you like to direct a movie? Yes. Which <laughs> Which movie, which characters would you choose? To direct? Sure. To, to just create Anything a movie from Anything they had. Casper the Dead Baby. <laughs> Casper the Dead Baby director. Isn't he a dead baby? He is. He is. He is dead no. Baby. Maybe that's a, uh, could do the original story for Dead Man. Casper, yeah, he is, he's, he's a dead baby. He's a, he's a dead baby. baby. Ghost, I don't, yeah. I don't Neil, like to think about somebody it. Somebody came up to Neil uh, with a blank... It was a Walking Dead blank. I saw that online. You did the Casper, right? Right, right. And they wanted it for their little baby. And it was like, I'm not going to draw a zombie for for like a baby. What the hell was wrong with these So it was like perfect, right? Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. I did see that, yes. Casper is And he's he's smiling and waving, right? Yeah. Oh, you caught you, you caught a little bit of heat for your uh, opinions on the uh, Man of Steel movie, right? Well, you tell me at one point in your life, mm-hmm. okay, you ever saw a dog that didn't get out of the car yeah. before anybody yeah. else? Excuse me, but on the brakes, bam, the dog's out of the, the dog's car. out, First out of out. the car and running around in front of the car, yeah. waiting for you to get out, impatient. Why the hell don't you get out of the car? Yeah. You ever see a dog that, that stayed in the car? Oh, I'm staying here. How much would you have to hate your father not to rescue <laughs> not him? To rescue how him. much? The way you're super how mad. bad would you have to be Luthor in a bad mood? <laughs> hey. Lois gets on the on the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And she knows where everything is. Oh, she yeah. figures it right I can't out. find the light in the bathroom here. But she we're no, we're, no, we're good. But she <laughs> could find like oh, oh she found her way around. She yeah. found she yeah. knew where everything was on that ship. I that know, she was great. <laughs> she, was she must have had in, implants. Or <laughs> Lois, how do you know how to fly this ship? I'm an alien. <laughs> Did you watch the new? Um, Mark I Lips. hated it. But yes, there you go. I don't that's know what exactly you're talking, no, how I feel about it as well. That's where I, was I don't even going. know what you're talking about. There's a joke on. What's he? What are you going for? The Amazing Spider-Man movies. The new oh, ones. I love them. They're great. Did you right? on. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> no, you're just Wait a second. No, I'm not. I'm ha- I have a great time. What's not to like? They're terrific. I'm, the actor was not. You know, they went through a whole lot of people to get to that guy, and the people like him. No. You just don't like him, but he's I don't like him. fine. I don't like him. I don't him. like him. You notice at the end of the movie, they cut his hair shorter, so he looks more like... He uh, makes, like, Toby McGuire. You know what? I, I think Toby uh, did McGuire... Did you like Toby McGuire? Yes, Better than I did. this guy. You know what? You know what? This guy's I'm sorry. so uh, this is, likable. This is so such a. He's not. No, I'm sorry. He's this is, not. Uh, this he's is not. Such, uh, this is such a fanny discussion. Fan, 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 fan. 
geek him. fan sitting in, a, well, sitting in a coffee shop. I hate him. I love him. He's <laughs> wonderful. There'll never be another Joker. Jim Aparo. Jim Aparo. What is your relationship with Jim? His art. It always seemed like he was Neil Adams' life. Okay. Jim Aparo worked for uh, Charlton. Jim Aparo was probably one of the nicest most humble people you'd ever want to meet. When he was given a Batman story, he came to me and he said, I, I hope it's okay if I draw Batman like you. I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to do it unless you say it's okay. But if you say it's okay, I want to do it like you. And so he did. And I said, absolutely, go for it. You know, I, the more the merrier. I, you know, and, I, and I'd love to see it. So let me see the first stuff you do. I, I, I love that. And so he did. And he was very happy to do it. And he made a nice living for his family and did very, very well. I always wondered if Paro was induced to be closer in line with your style or was that was his normal style? He was asked to do it. Who else at that time was asked to do but, it? But you have to understand that it wasn't that difficult for him to do it because his style was like that. In other words, he was chosen because he could do a style that was similar to my style. So it wasn't that much of a stretch. He just looked at the different things that I did and di different ways I handled Batman and then he approached it the same way. And when you say, uh, I'm sorry, artists, uh, do you include the writers in that or is it strictly... Um, well, the writers, uh, you know, are they're drunks and layabouts. <laughs> no, no, the, the, uh, the writers... The writers are, uh, are very, very much the same group of people. And um, uh, you have to understand that the talents that you need to be a writer are sparse compared to the talents that you need to be an artist. Oh, yeah, agreed. That doesn't mean that you cannot be a good writer uh, and you can't study it and do a good job. But the art. It's very complicated, and there's so many aspects to it that you have to study and pay attention to that the, the, the level of, of thought that goes into it is so much higher. You can write a story on a weekend. You can't draw a story on a weekend. It's a month. That's true. And you have to work 15 hours a day. I mean, it's so much. There's an awful lot of good writing that's wasted on bad artists. That's one of the reasons why I got along with my writers so well. I understand storytelling, and so my I could I would always give my writers what they were looking for. Thank you very much for doing this with us, Neil. Thank you for listening to the Comic Relief Podcast. We'll hope you join us next time as we continue to discuss all things comic book related. And until then, make mine marvel. And you see. And independent. Don't forget to check us out at comicreliefpodcast.com or you can visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast or go to our YouTube channel www.youtube.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast and finally there is our Twitter page which is twitter.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast P-O-D-C. I'd like to give a special shout out to Travis Richards, who did the music for the Comic Relief Podcast. Visit his website at www.travisarichards.com.
Would you like a dedication to your first name? No. It's, it's for my boyfriend. So then why don't we dedicate it to your boyfriend? To to my boyfriend. No, no, no. No, you don't want to dedicate it to him. What if you might want a different boyfriend? You want to dedicate it to him? That way it's not what you're doing. So, but isn't it nice but it's nice and homey. You don't want to do it? If it was for me, I would put But you would put, don't you like your boyfriend? simple. Okay, you're going to give it to him. Okay, you got two shots. Okay, you're going to give it to him, and Neil Adams signed it. Big deal. You're going to give it to him, and Neil Adams dedicated it to him. Right, if he gets mad, okay, L-O-U-I-S. Um, oh I could gosh. put a little heart at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's stuffy. <laughs> oh I God. know. Here we go. Thank you so much. Nice meeting it's you. It's a pleasure. Yes. Would you like a dedication on this, dear? To Lewis? No, no, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> Lewis. Lewis. He gets around. Yeah. That one's to my brother. <laughs> my brother, M Y B R O T H. R E R E N T E. That's it? Yeah. It's, not, it's nice, isn't it? It's adorable. You have to point to him? <laughs> guy, guy, I point, guy, I pointed to. Guy, I pointed to. You okay? Or you okay? Oh, honey. I am four. jammed up against this one. It's gonna. You gotta dedicate it now. <laughs> put the four in. Yeah, with spikes. M U N U N A W A R. Unpronounceable name. Pronounce it for me, please. Manure. Manoir. I thought it was manure for a second. <laughs> manoir. There you go. All right, that. Okay. Did you guys know what CGC is? Yes, it was explained to us. Yes, you put it in a rocket and you send it to Mars. Yep. And it buries you. Yeah. 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 You can never see it again. You can never see it again. It's the worst possible thing you can do unless you're a collector. Yeah. And then it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you have, imprison I it, and right. you'll you never, never see, see it again. again. But you have a reader's copy. Oh, absolutely. Reader's copy. You have a digital copy now. See, the problem is, the temptation is when you have a really good copy, why don't we CGC it? This this is going to put the kids through college. That's what. That's the way people think. Don't think it's not true. You know how many people have come up to me at conventions and said, you put my kids through college? I bought your your pages for fifty dollars back in the day, and now I sold them for ten thousand dollars.